the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 86, recorded Friday, April 12th, 2013. A whole new world. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I will be your tour guide for the next 45 minutes, an hour, three hour. It's a three-hour tour, George. It's (laughs) (laughs) With us this week are two of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Let's do ladies first. Uh, Her name is Dawn Mead. AV Dawn. There's a reason I did that. There's a story at the end we'll tell you about. Uh, um, Her name is AV Dawn. Dawn Mead. She is the marketing and media coordinator at NetAV. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Uh, With us always is the disembodied uh, voice of George Tucker. Uh, His name is George Tucker. (laughs) uh, Tucker Twos. He is the uh, engineering coordinator for World Stage. How are you, sir? (laughs) All right. Good morning. Yeah, it is morning. This is just different for us. This is me on coffee instead of, you know, tea. Uh, this week we're going to talk about is being nice being sexist. <laughs> um, a piece uh, by an old friend of ours named Jennifer Willard on, on the Rave blog. Also going to talk about 3D printing uh, because it's it's really kind of uh, hot and heavy now. National Association of Broadcasters uh, from my old stomping grounds. NAB was this week. Uh, the reason we're talking about it, though, on an AV show is the fact that they've come out with some really, really wicked things. Uh, and also... Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Hulu uh, if if we get to that, and uh, and the fact that um, well, somebody that that bought um, MySpace and then you know lost it is looking to spend a half billion dollars for them. But first, let's talk about controversy, shall we? <laughs> controversy, and there a song called Controversy. I think it's a Prince song. Oh yes, I love Prince. Um, mm. So this week, uh, a a what was was uh, couched as a uh, not very well seen video on on Crestron's website uh, was blogged uh, by our, our friends over at Rave, and they uh, basically said, you know what, um, Crestron has taken two different videos, and and they did. They they took some of their products and did a video comparing them side by side with an Extron product. And an AMX product, and the Extron product they they used was uh, was an Extron DXP. The AMX they went against was the Anova. They uh, the DXP actually te- technically from the Extron side is an a- an, an HDMI switcher, a, a flat out switcher, and they compared it with their HDMD eight by two, which you can't figure out the numbers. That's a that's a that's a sort of a, ma- a matrix, right? You can send it out two different ways, and. Uh, if you watch the the Crestron video, it appears that the Crestron switching is a little faster. Uh, it, it appears that it it resolves some of the video issues a little a little better uh, on one of the video switches that they did on the Extron side. I, I think they had a color issue on the in the, in the in the Crestron video, and I understand this is kind of hard to to follow because there's a lot of Trons and and there are two or three different videos. Well, Mr. Andrew Edwards. Uh, as he's wont to do about this time last year. He wrote a nice little blog post that says, hey, nobody goes to, uh, to trade shows. And then they went to Cedia, and then they went to um, Tech. Anyhow, um, they... And they're uh, at NAB. Yeah, NAB, yeah, NAB, which still confuses me. Um, writes a nice little piece and says, hey, you know what? These guys are being uh, nefarious. They are being underhanded. Smoke and mirrors, I claim. Smoke and mirrors, according to Mr. Edwards. And so he has his engineers do the exact same sort of, not really... Uh, comparison. <clears throat> let let me kick it off with this, and I'll ask you guys first, and I'll I will save my honest opinions and, and my my final opinions until after you guys. Uh, Don, first of all, is this a fair comparison? And secondly, does it matter how fast we switch? You know, I, I mean, I, not even getting into the fair comparison thing or or how fast we switch thing. I, I think it's almost like. Uh, 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 what is it, a, t- a tempest in a teapot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- this video sat on Crestron's site and hadn't been really getting a lot of views. 
I hadn't even heard of it. I totally missed. I mean, I guess I just skimmed over that issue, but I totally missed Gary's blog about it. The first I heard about it was this giant email blast that we got from Andrew. And it's like, if you're really that upset about it, why are you sending everybody over to look at it? (laughs) Why are you giving them all of this? You know, I understand that, you know, even bad press is press and, and, and there's no such thing as bad press because it's getting people talking about you. You know, maybe it's some big cry for relevance on all of their parts, but I just, it was like a non-story until it came into my inbox, you know? You know, and at the end of the day, your average user, I mean, unless you're in a broadcast setting or, or, you know, something like that, that it has to be time sensitive, most times a couple extra seconds or whatever switching is not a big deal for most of my clients anyway. Um, I, I can think of a couple situations, broadcast being one and maybe like, live viewing, like, you know, some of our government clients, remote viewing things happening, you know, in a, in a battle zone or whatever, they might need quicker switching to go from one camera to another. But in the real world, who cares if it takes a couple extra seconds or, you know, a minute, you know, if, if it's too, too long, but everyone's sort of equal there, you know, it, it's not the end of the world. So I don't see it as a, as a massive story other than now it's like this giant controversy again. Yeah. And again, Extron's in there. <laughs> George, Don actually raises a really good point. When you're doing live or broadcast or something that has to have almost instantaneous switching, I can see where a second or two would matter. But I'm going to ask a rather naive question here because I used to live in the world of broadcasts. I've never heard, I had never heard of Extron or Crestron or AMX for that matter in the world of broadcast. So if you're in that world, you're not using these guys anyway, are you? More likely, well, not for live presentation yeah. or live feed, but you would probably in some of your war rooms or some of your monitoring rooms or something of that nature. I could see that happening. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the thing is that when you have enough money to spend on these systems and you are investing that kind of money, you want a system that's going to be, quote, unquote, first glitch-free. Mm-hmm. So you don't see those little tear marks or any kind of little white sputters or sparks that come between switching. And having it as quickly as possible is it's that instant gratification thing and isn't that what people are paying for when you're buying something this expensive and impressive <laughs> so i can see that as a valid point from the the perspective of hey i paid a lot for this it should work as well as i want it to and make toast too <laughs> um right i mean yes so that being said i'm not quite sure what's going on in that video i've taken i've, I've had i haven't been able to you know look at it as intensely as obviously the extron folks did but there is something funny there. I don't know if it's deliberate. I don't know if it matters at this point. We don't know the entire setup. I guess to continue this and make it even more so so they get more views, they could produce a video that shows the entire setup or photographs of the actual connections. Um, it might be a tempest in a teapot, but when you're getting to this level of comparing switching speeds or any shootout, it has to be very, very clear what you did and very, very clear how it's set up with a common system. Now, putting them together and making them equal may not have or may not change anything about the results, regardless of what Extron's did or Crestron's demo did. But knowing that everything is equal, it's a scientific mantra, right? Can you reproduce it? Is yeah. it reproducible? Then you've got more than just a theory. You've got a fact. And right now we've just got a theory. Well, and right now, yeah, and we have a couple different videos that, let's be honest, were produced in very different ways. The mm. Crestron piece, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not making excuses for either. I have friends that work with both. I have, you know, positive feelings about both their products. But the Extron piece, you can tell, and this is from a video side, you know, an old video guy here, there weren't any cuts. It was a solid shot from, from start to finish. The Crestron piece, did have some edits. It, he, he, there were some fades. There were some starts and stops. Why that was done, I don't know. I don't know if, if the, the gentleman who was doing the piece messed up some of his lines and they wanted to restart again. I don't know why. That, but there were definitely some some edits to the video. Um, and it, it's, it's, interesting, yeah. it's unfortunate that, that, that it was because it gives the other side... The ability to say, see, look, see, they're they're being underhanded. Well, maybe not really. You know, maybe they just simply, the guy wanted to get his line right. Um, who, who knows? And and the other part was the fact that the setups weren't exactly the same. They simply weren't. And there was a, there was a scalar in the Extron piece. There wasn't mm. in the Crestron piece. And, and so from the Extron side, they should have emulated it 
exactly like Crestron did if they wanted to do, you know, look, see, this is really how it was. Well, no, not really, because you're you're adding pieces now, right? You're you're making it to, to where you guys are a half second faster. Well, and, and, and one thing you need to consider, and, and this comes out of something George said, you know, he mentioned shootout. Well, there's a reason that we don't do shootouts at Infocom anymore. And that's everybody's quality has gotten so good, like on the projector front, that it was a diminishing return. There was no point. Everything looked fantastic sitting there. There were, yeah, you could get super picky and say this one's different from that one, but it's all sort of a level playing field. And I think with Crestron and Extron and AMX, you know, they, they each have their certain application or their certain setup where they work better than the others. But in a lot of ways, a lot of their products are sort of on the same level. I mean, we're not talking about amateur hour versus the professionals anymore. They're all very good companies with very good products. And to sit there and nitpick about a couple of seconds and, and will they have this piece in or they don't have this piece in, I mean, it's kind of they're, they're, they're inventing it to make a difference. You know what I mean? It just for, for your average user these days, it's, it's kind of moot. I, I don't see, again, I, I go back to Tempest in a teapot. I just don't see it being that big a deal until they made it a big deal. Well, and see, the other thing is the thing that is kind of screaming at me is who's not saying anything about it. AMX hasn't posted some big giant thing. Honestly, Crestron hasn't really posted any giant thing. They just put this out there three months ago, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're not right. responding to this. It's, and, and again, not making fun, have a lot of friends there. They do a lot of good work. But it's the guys that, in my opinion, have kind of fallen by the wayside when it comes to digital, Right. I mean, yeah. their their big digital thing that re, they re, they 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 made a big deal about the last time that they were at Infocom, which was almost two years ago now, was the XTP series. Right, this is going to be our you know twisted pair, one single wire. Da, 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 da. Um, anybody seen one of these in the, in the wild? Uh, is it shipping yet? Because I, I I haven't gotten a notice on that. No. Um, on their big stuff, at least, and that and that's what I'm what I'm getting at is the fact that that I think they're making it, Extron is making a big deal about it because they 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 may feel that they're being kind of sidelined. Um, there's a reason that that Crestron didn't compare it to uh, their DM stuff because that would totally be apples to oranges, right? They they compared an HDMI switcher to, to an HDMI switcher. AMX and Crestron both, they're both working on HD-based T uh, architecture. They're both doing really well with, with doing 300 plus uh, feet uh, for, for full HD with content protection and, and everything else. And Extron's just not there yet. And I think maybe that's some of what um, the reaction by Andrew is, is that, you know what, we're still viable guys. <laughs> we, we, we matter. And, and they don't really, unless you're talking about, you know, maybe, you know, still in the, in the HDMI world. Uh, but when we're talking about HD over, over some sort of category cable, I, I, maybe that, maybe that's what I'm feeling from them is the fact that you're not, you're not, it's not a fair comparison anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. Next story. <laughs> uh, this week, uh, oh, but we're going to mention this real quick. Uh, Crestron released this week that they have the first Crestron connected residential wireless controlled door lock. And this goes in my shades file for Crestron. George? It, we've had this why? argument before. Shades are money. So, I don't no, care. I think they obviously they would get into shades. So, I think that's a moot point. You've lost it. So, just move on. But <laughs> I refuse. I am. This is Waterloo. Okay. Um, but the Crestron, I guess it's the first wireless, but I know that other companies have integrated with like the other major manufacturers of locks. And uh, previously, I think Control 4 and even Savant mm -hmm. has something. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. But uh, this is a must have, though, because I recall this being one of the most requested things people were looking for. It sounds silly. It's not going to make you a lot of money, but it's one of those added on features that just seems to push people over the edge of buying. It, they wanted it. They want to be able to unlock and lock their door. They want to be able to monitor it and do that kind of stuff. And it's a win. I don't know how many they'll sell, but just simply having it is going to be a win for them, at least from a marketing perspective. John, a, a Crestron rep uh, of mine, put it to me like this. And I was, I was poking fun at the shades. And uh, he said, you know what? It's, it's, the, it's the marketing position of you have one person to blame. 
is is it a valid thing when it comes to this this door controller or this door lock or is George right where you know this is one of the most uh, requested uh, features for a house? Um, I, I mean, I, I can see where they're going with the one person to blame thing, but I, I, I just kind of giggled when I saw the story. Thank I, you. I, I, I would like one for my house. I think it's a great idea. But my first thought was, you know, and, and this is, again, old school thinking, well, how are you going to unlock your door when your touch panel's in the house? But, you know, with the, with the remote, you pay extra for the, for the iPad or, or iPod or, or Android, you know, phone control. I, you know, I, I see where they're going with it. it. It does make sense. And everyone likes a clicker like they have for their car for their house. But it, it just seemed so funny at first, you know, because you get in that old mindset of Amex and Crestron or installed panels. And, you know, if it's locked in the house, how are you going to get to it? Um, I, I do have to totally disagree with you on the shades front, though. Right. Shades are fantastic option for these guys. And I'm not at all in the resi world, but even just for like VTC suites in offices, you want motorized controllable shades to be able to control your environment to give a better better image and a better um just a better environment for the video conferencing. And the shades are an integral part of that. And when you're integrating an entire boardroom or conference room or video conferencing suite, um, you know, if you can get it just direct from that manufacturer that's doing the controlling, you know, I have controllable shades at my house on my AMX system and it's, I had to use like, you know, Draper or whoever it was mm-hmm. we got the shade from, you know, and integrate it with that. But if, if, if they're selling the, the whole package, then in that case, I totally see it. And but I'm, I'm not I, I saying, still giggle about the door lock. Though. I'm not saying that shades are bad. Do not misunderstand. I just think that, you know what, they're doing control, they're doing video, they're doing audio. You can control your your uh, your your washing machine and your, your refrigerator. And I just thought it was silly. I don't know. They, they want to be the one ring to control the, the, one the ring. rules at all. Yes, you they know? are. It's... And we all know how, still the how that story guys. ended. There's still the profit. <laughs> how many people have asked them, do you have shades Who's the profit? Sell? What do you mean? Who's the profit? Who's the profit? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I get the profit, and it, and it does. Yes, it, it makes sense because it's con- something else to be to be able to control, just like lighting is, and they've been doing lighting for for good lord, however many years. And, exactly. and, and I get and thermostat it. Thermostat control. And thermostat. And all yeah, all of that. Um, I just it still strikes me as funny, and the and the picture that they use on their website, and the fact that they're doing the static shades, like you know Bowie's changes. You know, it's just I don't know. They need to get different marketing people or something. I don't know. All right, uh, let's let's take over NAB for a second. Uh, National Association, easy for me to say, of broadcasters uh, was this week. Uh, NAB 2013 was in Vegas. It always is in Vegas. Uh, it will never ever not be in Vegas. Uh, it's 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 immensely huge. It's it's probably the broadcast version. No, it is the broadcast version of CES uh, in size and scope and the number of people who are there. We mentioned that earlier. Extron is at NAB this week. Uh, I talked to an old buddy of ours um, from uh, 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 Kramer, actually, uh, last week, and they were there this week. And so you've got a lot of AV people that are there, a lot of um, signal processing people and stuff, because that's, you know, like George mentioned, when, when it comes to the war rooms and the monitoring rooms, this is what these guys do on the back end. But you also have camera people. And what does cameras do? What do cameras do? They create content for the devices that we've been talking about. There is no content for. Uh, Don brought us a really good piece by Cindy Davis from Higher Ed Tech Decisions uh, talking about 4K, 8K, I'm not going to say the other word, and cloud media storage. The other word is 3D. Uh, So uh, Don, one of the first lines that she uses is something that caught your eye's eye, is the, uh, the, the possibility of affordable OLED. Yes, and it makes me so happy. Uh, if you've ever listened to our podcast for more than five minutes, you'll know that that Tim and I have both been kind of waiting for OLED in the in the real world for years now. And every time there's news about it, we get excited. And Yay. the fact that it might be affordable and I can have it in my living room, hopefully, mm-hmm. I, I'm just giddy with joy. I'm giddy like a schoolgirl because it, it just makes me happy. Um, but when, when I saw this, this article, the, the article headline you know, that the link goes to just says 4K and 8K, 
but the email I got, the, the header was 4K, 5K, 8K. And two thoughts sprang into my brain. First was, my K goes to 11, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like a Spinal Tap or, or, or the Ozzy Osbourne phone commercial. You know, how many bloody K are there? It, it just, it, we're constantly increasing that. And it's great to keep talking about increases in, in the resolution out there. But till we actually get it and have the content and the players, you can talk theoretically, you know, 10,000 K. It's not going to matter. We need it in our hands, like the affordable OLED. Yeah. Just, you know, keep dreaming, but bring us actual things for my house. Yay. Well, and that's the thing, George, is the fact that these guys are quickly, the, the iterations are quickly coming down in price, quicker than I think that I ever imagined they would, and quicker, I think, than the, the original um, 720p plasmas came down. I, I think I've told this story before. Tw- about 20 years ago, I had a buddy of mine that worked for, for Best Buy. Best Buy or Circuit City, I, I honestly can't remember at this point. Uh, and he had a guy come in and bought the, one of the first plasmas in, in the St. Louis area. Guy spent $20,000 for what was probably a 45, 50-inch plasma 720p. And it, you know, it was it didn't stay at twenty thousand for years, but it was there for you know, for decades. But it was there for a number of years, and and still it was in the 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 five to ten range, even in the late nineties. And then you know, slowly but surely, the the prices started coming down. When it comes to this four K and eight K stuff, it it almost feels like, you know, what it was just two or three months ago we were talking about the Sony OLED that they were touting for twenty five thousand dollars, and now that they're coming down even faster than that. Yeah, because it's going to be an overnight success that took 10 years. Let me think That's about my that simple answer to it. It's been around for so long and been in such different applications that the ability for it to be at the consumer level seems like it's an overnight success. But I, I, I think it's really been a very long, slow buildup. And they did it. Well, I want to say they did it right. Well, we'll see. Being Sony and all. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but it's not just Sony, right? It's Samsung and, and some other displays, guys. Right, right, right. You mentioned Sony, so I took a dig at them. Uh, um, <laughs> I had to. It was there. It was. Yeah. Um, so, well, but seriously, I think it's been an overnight success that really took a long time to come, and it's finally to the uh, the form factor that it can come into the residential consumer markets, and we just are just starting to see that rush in. Yeah, George brings up a good point. All overnight successes take forever. And our problem is we're in the know. We've known about this technology forever. So to us, it seems like it's been taking forever. But if you were just, you know, Joe consumer or Jane consumer out there that, you know, Mm -hmm. you you have a flat panel, ooh, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, 4K OLED, where did that come from? And I can afford it? That's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, everything happens quicker nowadays in the media and in the public, but for people in the industry, you're, you're always going to know about the R&D stuff way in advance and get excited and get disappointed. And, well, and see the vaporware <laughs> for years and years and years that suddenly isn't vaporware anymore. Right. You know, yeah. it, George, George mentioned the, the dig at Sony. Uh, there's a CNET story on here. The reason I'm excited, and this is the other thing, is the fact that you've got 4Ks rolling out for $5,000. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Here's the thing with that, guys. I, it, I wasn't kidding. About two months ago, we did a story where the first um, OLED. This isn't this isn't OLED, but um, was it twenty twenty five thousand dollars? And I think the the Samsung version of that was around thirty. You've got four K, and the others in the story, kind of in com- combination with this, is a Black Magic uh, production camera, a four K production camera for basically a thousand dollars, nine hundred ninety five dollars. Um, there is something that has been in the works for, I, I personally know of about five or six years and it may have been earlier than that, but one of the first production cameras to, to produce 4k was somebody called red mm-hmm. and the body of it was $15,000, the mm-hmm. body. And if you know anything about cameras and this, that, and the other, you always know that the glass is traditionally the most expensive piece on the camera. So imagine what the glass, the lens, would be uh, on, on a piece that starts at fifteen thousand. So you're looking at about probably twenty-five to, to fifty thousand dollars for one camera to produce uh, something in four K. It dawned the fact that we've got displays that are that are sub five thousand, you know, barely, but they're at five thousand. 
you have production cameras that are right at a thousand dollars. Let's which let's face it, even when like the GL ones and the XL ones from Canon came out, those were still two to three thousand dollars. This is kind of an exciting time when just a couple of years ago we were we were saying, 4K is great. We just need content, right? Right. Um, I, I think it's fantastic news. Both the the Black Magic camera announcement and the Sony uh, price decreases for the for the actual content showers, the viewers, the displays. Um, like you said, we've been talking about these higher resolutions for a while now, and we just haven't had anything. I think I said a couple weeks ago when I was on the podcast that I finally in the theater saw my first movie that said at the very end, you know, because I'm a geek that stays till the end, pr- produced or shot on red cameras. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz movie, the new one, was um, actually shot on red. It was shot for 4K. That's fantastic, but that's the first one, and we've been talking about it, it seems like, for ages, you know, being insiders. So the fact that they've brought this sub-$1,000 camera out, the fact that they're bringing out these displays at around $5,000, which, you know, compared to a Best Buy or a even worse Walmart, you know, consumer display, that's still pricey. But what you're getting, the higher resolution and the image quality, it's, it, you, you're absolutely right. It's very exciting, and, and it, it tells me that 4K and the Ultra HD-type resolutions are going to be here to stay because, or, or get improved upon because it's not just talk now. It's for reals. George, what does this tell us when it comes to maybe the next generation of, of resolution about you know the displays and this, that, and the other, the fact that you have... Not consumer grade. I'm not. I'm not going to, you know, diss. I've never. I'm not held the Black Magic piece. But when it comes to price points, right, a, a sub thousand dollar camera is is relatively inexpensive when you're talking about production cameras. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us? The fact that you've got a, a you know a relatively inexpensive production camera, and these, albeit five thousand dollars, is not Walmart like like Don said, but it's still not you know twenty thousand uh, dollars. What does that tell us about the 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 kind of the next? generation or the next the next steps for for resolution for not just content creation but also display well i'd like to take a little bit of a different take on that i, I don't know what it says about what the next resolution will be but it's all about ecosystems okay uh, maybe you know uh, maybe i'm going back to uh the graduates all about plastic it's all about ecosystem <laughs> you've got <laughs> it used to be that we said it was the adult industry that would drive the format of the new mediums, which was true. And to a small extent, I think it still is true. Uh, These kind of things will drive those people to say, hey, we can do it and produce it in these, just like they did in HD. But really what drove HD into massive acceptance, in my opinion, was the ability for homeowners. And at the the slightly upper level, these two products, the camera and the Sony 4K, and their their player that they have out now, or will have out soon, uh, gives the ability of the average upper middle class tech geek to produce his own content. And when I see my own stuff in 4K, why wouldn't I want to see it with everything else? And I'll start searching it out. Right. So the quality I can produce mm. will drive me to want say, well, if I can do it, why aren't the movie theaters doing it? And this, that, and the other thing. So you get this sort of ecosystem of we produce the players. There's a camera for it. We have a, a smart TV that lets you hook up into it. It's the Apple model of an ecosystem. And there are some other stories we're going to cover today, hopefully, in, in this, that show that as well. You build an ecosystem that's not extraordinarily massive, but that will allow that format or that new technology to take root in the, in the home ownership or the, you know, whatever you're searching for. Right. And, and, and at the very least, these inexpensive 4K cameras will improve the quality of our YouTube videos. Well, that's exactly. the other thing, John. It, it, cats in 4K is great. Well, well no, no, she, she, <laughs> she, she, she kind of said that tongue-in-cheek. But here's the thing. You can upload in 4K now to YouTube. You can't stream it, you can, but you can download the video in 4K. So if mm. you shoot in, in 4K, you can upload it to YouTube, and someone can download that and watch it on, on a 4K display if they so choose. Uh, you can stream, by the way, in HD, but, but you, to get to the 4K, you have to actually physically download it. Um, so yeah, we're, this is kind of, you guys are right. The, the kind of the consumer end is is now driving things again. Mm-hmm. Now this might be much ado about nothing because we've heard this argument a lot. And I was just reading Andrew Robinson's blog about 4K, and a lot of his list, uh, listeners or, or fans were commenting about how well 4K is not really a format. It's not a residential product because in order to notice the difference, you have to be either enormous in image 
are really, really close. And who's going to sit five inches from a TV? All right, my kids do, but you yes. and I are not going to do it, right? So and, and there is a little do bit that? of debate here. Just is it curious. worth the money? Why do they do that? Who, kids? Yes. Because mine, I, do, mine do the exact same thing. I think I read a Psychology Today study that, that showed about how they don't understand the difference between those two worlds. And being right next to it is sort of like being next to their friend or being next to whatever. And that's the intimacy. That's how they communicate. And there's still that fourth wall doesn't exist for them, even if it is really a physical wall. And it takes time to learn it. And mm. what, what have we learned today? George reads Psychology Today. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are listening to oh, AV I mean, Week. Thank you so much. You know what? I wouldn't tease you if I didn't love you. Uh, th that guy right there is George Tucker, also with us, uh, who suffers through on a time to time is uh, is Don Mead. Uh, we'll talk about home, and we'll stay we'll stay there for a second. Uh, a story by uh, Electronic House uh, is about that. This is from Grant Clauser, who I think we've had on a couple times. Um, talking about a, a home getting an upgrade without drilling. And if anybody's ever either done renovation or you're in the resi market, your ears immediately per perk up. Um, George, when I, when I first saw this, my immediate reaction was, holy crap, they did nothing but wireless, and that just scares the crap out of me. <laughs> right, yeah. It's my first thought, too. Uh, so how do, they, how do they pull this off? Well, yeah, I mean, and my first thought was wireless, and, and I long ago have labeled video over wireless in the home as Brundlefly, mm -hmm. so it feared me. I'm like, no, don't keep pushing this. It's not time yet. No. Um, but what they did is what I like to call topology morphing and retrofitting. So the topology, the retrofitting is that they went all Cat5. They basically, where this piece basically pushes the uh, universal remote product, which is actually a decent product from what I've seen, and I've actually seen it up close. Um, and it's Cat5 capability and the ability of um, people from, I think, outside of the home, like uh, a dealer, to make updates and changes remotely, which is always beneficial and mm -hmm. very innovative. The whole part of this is that the homeowner doesn't want, if they want to upgrade, they don't want this army of people in their house. They don't want bumps on the walls. They don't want drilling and having to replaster, especially here in the Northeast where some of these bigger, older mansions, that pl that's plaster. And that's, a, that's an entirely different world of <laughs> fixing and making right after you've drilled holes to run cables. Mm -hmm. um, but So they've, they've ran Cat5, which is minimal. They've ran it probably with the speaker cables or in some kind of conduit joins to, to do it. But the biggest one I saw was they were using some of the existing Cat5 uh, cat um, coax in the home with special modulators to send data over those. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I call the topology morphing, where you can get a certain degree of acceptable high definition over that as long as it's short enough run. And that's a great answer. And this is the I'm, I'm not here to make tons of money with my cable and bundlings. It's I'm going to get the job done right. And it was still a decent job. What was it? Thirty five thousand, I think. they said. Total? Yeah. 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 That's 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 not small potatoes. Well, Don, uh, I, in my real job, I work for a college that was the original parts were built in the 1830s. Whoa. Let me say that again. 1830s. You still have gas ports there, I bet. We do. Yeah. Oh. You, you would, and ghosts, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, um, it, was, it was built as, a, as an, old, uh, an old, it was built as a, as a women's college um, for back in the 1830s. And so what George is saying is right. It's plaster. So right. this can be, it's kind of exciting for people in, should be exciting in, for people in commercial as well for you know, retrofitting older structures. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, we're, I'm here in Maryland, D.C. area. You know, we've got a lot of federal buildings. You're not just talking plaster. You're talking marble. You're talking oh, yeah. all kinds of surfaces that are just impossible to deal with on, on a regular basis. You know, a few years back, we did a, a sound system for a church that was in, it was originally a synagogue, and it was like the first or one of the first synagogues in the United States which tells you how old that is. Wow. And it was all marble and it was all, and they didn't want, you know, conduit or anything visible, but how are you going to get that? We're not going to drill this marble. Good God, you know? And so there's all kinds of challenges that, that something like this, if this stuff is already, run, you know, the, the coax or the, or the whatnot is already in the walls. It's a fantastic solution. Now, the one thing that concerned me in the article was it did say some places he did have to use existing AC ducts to run some wiring and mm. when you're dealing in 
commercial, there's all kinds of, you know, plenum, non-plenum and, and different local, state, federal regulations about what you can and can't run through your air systems. But I, I just think if, if it's possible to go wireless or with these minimal retrofit things, it's fantastic for both resi and commercial. I would just buy plenum cable and put it wherever. Well, That's, that's the it, whole idea behind plenum, isn't it? The, the whole idea behind plenum is <laughs> apparently, and, and I researched this several years ago, plenum doesn't burn as quickly as non-plenum. Right. However, once you do manage to get it burning, apparently it's more toxic than the non-plenum, yes. at least some really? flavors of it. So okay. it, it's really a no-win solution if you have to go through the air. You it's know, supposed to be low AC smoke. Low, yeah, yeah, low smoke, yeah. yeah. Low smoke, low toxicity, but once it gets burning full scale, get out. <laughs> yeah. See, George, this is why we should have wireless. No wires. I, I know. 100% plenum. <laughs> <laughs> no, what we need to do is we need to make plenum exposed wiring the architectural thing to do. Got to go retro industrial. If you got that going, man, oh, man, could we do a lot of stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to tackle Samsung because we haven't talked about them this week, and I feel kind of naked not doing so. Uh, we, we've talked about them a lot the last oh, couple of weeks. And this is the the latest one that comes from Best Buy. They're going to have, um, well, they're calling them Samsung Samsung Experience uh, Centers um, inside Best Buys. George, this sounds an awful lot like the Magnolia, uh, if you guys remember that from from Best Buy. Mm. Um, Oh yeah. Why? Why are they doing this? I mean, are they? Is it is it just to be Apple and and to to lay claim to you know being the the I guess the Microsoft now to Apple when it comes to consumer electronics? I suppose that is partly the answer, yes. Uh, you've got two ideas. When you want to branch out into more than just phones or you need to go horizontal as well as vertical in your, in your growth, right? There are two ways. One, you bring the people to you or you go to the people. I think this is the example of the latter. Where are people buying stuff? In the big box stores, most some of them are. Or at least they're looking at them in the big box stores. Right? Say really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got me. Well, but they're still there. They're still existing. Yes. This is an idea of saying you're going there. Why not try to capture your eyes while you're there? I think the inevitable transition is for them to make a Samsung, a la Apple store. But the, that that leap from in-house store to your own store may be short, but it is fraught with many difficulties that make it very hard to get there. Sort of like trying to go over a very small, rapidly uh, rapid river. <laughs> it may look easy, but if you get if you put your foot in wrong, man, you're going to be swept down the river for a little while. Um, that's what I think they're really doing is trying to get their eyes. They're they're really getting uh, onto Apple. They're they're nipping at their heels, if not now ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And this is their next step: is okay. What's the next growth level? Get it in store. Get it so that people come to us to buy our stuff. John Georgia makes a point. George Georgia, good lord, George makes a point. Georgia. Okay, that was that was weird. <laughs> uh, screw it. What is Samsung doing? Please save me from myself. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing because isn't Best Buy kind of dying? I mean, isn't that maybe this is like a last ditch effort on on Best Buy's part to bring some value to their stores again? I mean, coming at it from the different point of view of not you know from Samsung's point of view, but from Best Buy, like, oh my God, we're getting showroomed out of business by Amazon and everybody else, you know, people come in, check out our stuff and buy it elsewhere. Like, let's bring in a name. Let's bring in a brand that's really going to do something. Magnolia wasn't it. I'm sorry. You know, and no. and their little home theater section in Best Buy was really only good uh, when, when, what was that basketball team from, I can't even remember where they were from, some university basketball team that found out they, where they were seated in the, in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Because they they missed their flight or something, so they all went into Best Buy and like sat down and watched the the live. Uh, yeah, you know, like that's really what those things are for. Nobody, you know, they're for sitting while your husband or your wife is shopping and and your feet hurt. You know, Jeez. so I mean that's really kind of where Best Buy is. You know, they've been sold and they've been bought and they've been revamping and they're going to go to smaller stores. They're going to go to bigger stores, and it's been in flux for a couple of years now. I have a soft spot for Samsung. I love them. Maybe there are other people that feel the same way. And by putting them in the Best Buys, that'll sort of revitalize that brand a little bit. Okay. Um, and, and like you said, it does then give them a physical foothold to compete against the Apple stores. But again, if you're not one of those I people, the Apple stores mean nothing other than go to make fun of the geniuses. You know. <laughs> so. 
that that, that is true. And, and just so you, you know, we, we all need to to just think good thoughts for the the guys at Samsung because, well, let's be frank, they're in South Korea. So, <laughs> that's all true. I'll say about that. Uh, crazy little guy has his finger on a button. Uh, from NPR, uh, we should have mentioned this when we talk about NAB, but. Uh, broadcasters were, were discussing one thing this week at NAB, how to get into the zero TV crowd. And uh, I have to credit George for giving me this one because I didn't even realize this this moniker was out there. Uh, Nielsen, actually. And Nielsen's the company that that tracks, you know, what the popularity of shows. They introduced this uh, a couple years ago as people who don't get TV. They're not, they're not subscribers to satellite or, or, or cable. Uh, and about 2 million uh, a couple years ago, um, and it's five million now. Five million people who are basically cord cutters here. Uh, Don, is there is there anything that people can do, or the broadcasters can do, to grab these pe- people back in? Because once you've cut the cord, there's an awful lot of savings and there's an awful lot of freedom when it comes to, you know, your own making your own choices. I guess as uh, as to what content you're you're consuming. Well, I mean, the broadcasters they they need to look at. The new model. They need to look at where people are. Those of us that still are TV owners or TV subscribers, we're not just watching TV. We're multi-screening. We're watching TV while using a tablet or a laptop or a phone or all three. So the the whole just sit and watch what comes on one of the five channels thing, that's over. That's history. You know, and, and if you're going to remain viable, you have to provide content that can be streamed. You have to provide content that can be downloaded, that can be watched anywhere on your own time. You have to make it, you know, DVR friendly. Don't send out mm-hmm. spoilers and don't be that guy. I mean, you know, and, and so there's a whole massive like mind shift that some of these broadcasters have to get to if they intend to remain viable. And, you know, some of the content producers, some of the studios that are making the shows and things like that, they're starting to get it. Several of the cable networks, the paper cable, they're getting it. HBO Go is fantastic. Um, you know, I realized the other night that my satellite provider now has the ability I can set my DVR and record things at home or stream things on my phone wherever I am. Wow. I, I, was, I was out to dinner and I was like, oh, man, I wanted to set the DVR. Wait a minute. And I sat there in a restaurant across town set my DVR to record something. And if I had wanted, if we weren't in the middle of a restaurant, I could have streamed it to my phone and watched it live. You know, so some of them are starting to get it. As for, you know, ABC or, 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 you know, WMAR or whatever your local, whatever is, they're going to have to come up with a way to, they're going to figure it out. They're either going to figure it out or they're just going to close and it'll be the end of an era. But I mean, that's where we are now. You know, it's 5 million now, but how many of those, people that aren't in that 5 million are like me and are doing, you know, streaming things when they're not home. How many of them are time delaying and time shifting their things? How many are, you know, thinking about cutting the cord because they're doing four things at once with multi-screens? You know, it's, it's definitely where things are going in a lot of ways. And as the baby boomers age even further and, and begin dying off and, and Gen X and Y and, what is the new in the millennials and the Gen C, I think they were calling it something I read recently, as, as they come of age, this is where they're going to be. They're not going to have landlines for phone, mm-hmm. and they're not going to have old school TV, whether it's broadcast, cable, or satellite. George, Don makes a good point when it comes to, you know, the, this number is going to keep growing. In, in 2005, there was a study that um, was done, done by Nielsen, and they, they track how many, how many actual viewers for, for traditional broadcast over the air and, and, and cable. Uh, the number peaked in 2005. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Um, and ever since then, you can see it, it just kind of, it's not a precipitous decline. I'm not saying, you know, the sky is falling. However, there is a decline. So these guys have got to find out, find something to do. And like Don mentioned, doing things like giving you the ability to stream uh, on your on your devices and fishing where the fish are, uh, to, to borrow a phrase, is something they're going to have to do, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the same as a couple of shows ago. We talked about the uh, Aereo, Aereo TV, those little mini antennas that they receive and then stream to the uh, their subscribers. They just won a major court case saying they could do it, even though the networks didn't want it. They're not seeing their old model in a way that they should, meaning, and I mucked that up, but the, the broadcasters are really fighting hard. Even the cable companies are fighting very hard for an old model of revenue that 
nobody wants to do. And they're forcing people to stick to it. And they're going to get fight. They're going to lose the battle in the end. And part of this, I think, is, uh, is their own success coming back to haunt them. Cable TV launched. There was a hundred channels, just like the Bruce Springsteen song, and nothing's ever on. But what it's done is just like the internet has allowed us to do with certain things is focus in on those channels and those things that we want. Even though we have to buy them as a whole package rather than all a cart, which is the crux of the issue here, we can focus on what, just what we want. So cable gave us the ability to find channels that played the things that we liked whenever we – well, at a common time. And then yeah. DVRs let us record those and watch them whenever, repeated, you know, repeated viewings and in different times and in different places. This is just the next evolution, and it's part of what they established. They just don't like to admit it. It's the next step, and they got to go with it, or they're going to die. Yeah. Right, and 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 to that to that end, I mean, if you look at the history of broadcast television in America, you know, we started there were no commercials. You mm-hmm. had the GE Humor Hour or whatever, and you would have entire chunks of content created solely and, and funded solely by this sponsor or that mm-hmm. sponsor and it, it was almost like some of the immersive or, or the you know what is it the uh where they where they put the pro- product placement advertising yeah. that we have now but to an extreme and mm-hmm. then they moved from that model to the let's put commercials in between things model and then they moved from that model now then they had the product placement stuff that we have now plus that you know and frankly i think that the the consumers of, of all the content are the ones getting hosed because back in the day you had just product placement or just the commercial but everything else was free now we're paying for cat- satellite or cable and we have to watch commercials and we have product placement and it's like some people are lining their pockets big and i'm sure they don't want to see the end of that gravy train but you know it's it's really the the, the viewers are the ones getting hosed and it's like well, let's scale it back we can stream or purchase on Amazon Prime or HBO Go or whatever, and we can just watch the show and whatever product placement might be in the show. But that's, you know, and, and it's getting back even to an earlier model in a new way. Who, who does the Game of Thrones? HBO. Which channel is that? HBO. Is it HBO? HBO? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. what's the other one then? Uh, AMC has one. What does AMC have? Something very uh, popular. Walking, Mad Dead. Walking Dead. Walking Dead and, and stuff. Men. I think he was on Bloomberg Radio a couple of weeks ago, the, the CEO, where they don't actually stream that, do they? And I believe a lot of those shows don't because he said we are dedicated to the revenue model of our partners, i.e. the cable companies and those who will uh, cable channels who will rebroadcast and buy the syndication rights to these shows. So that model still being fo- uh, put forward by new channels that are breaking new ground that are getting lots of people to come in and watch. But they're still doing this, even though people are now starting to stream them. It's it's a tough fight that they're just not seeing the farce for the troops. Yes, there'll be loss of jobs and revenue will be reduced in certain ways. But come on, guys. Okay, but here's the thing, though, George. You've got that that group of people over there. But then you have people who um, are like the Netflix of the world who are making making deals with Kevin Spacey. And uh, if, if you're anybody's a subscriber to Netflix, you can watch a, an entire season of something called House of Cards that mm-hmm. was produced and stars Kevin Spacey. Um, the only place you can see it is on Netflix. It was never aired on a traditional broad- broadcast network, cable or over the air. The only place you can see it is on Netflix. And they released it en masse. And you can watch uh, episode one through episode whatever the, uh, the other end is. Uh, they also yeah. did the same thing. They're, they're doing the same thing. Uh, with a quirky little show that used to be on on Fox um, called um, Oh Good Lord the the, the Bluth Family that name uh, my Arrested thank you Arrested Development same thing they're recreating that and they're reviving that 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 show and the only place you can see it again is on Netflix and so mm-hmm. there are competing models here advertising is a a hundred and thirty billion dollar industry currently the person the people who get the lion's share of that is broadcast television. And I don't understand, I, st- I still don't understand why that internet and internet um, media in general, and I'm not saying that because, you know, because we do this, but just, you know, TV and, and, and YouTube and stuff like that, haven't, have, people haven't gone there because, again, you need to advertise where the people are. Right. So. Well, and, and also to that point, you know, yeah, there are some places like HBO Go now for subscribers, but there are places that they won't let you stream the episodes or you can stream them months later so you've missed everything. But if you look at the news from April 2nd, April 3rd, April 4th, right after the Game of Thrones premiere, over one million people watched Game of Thrones 
illegally. It set yep. a piracy record mm. for streaming video just this, you know, the past week or so for the season premiere because they're not doing a live stream or they're not doing a Hulu or they're not doing providing it where the people are and where the people want it. So, well, well Don, I, w- yeah. I would even go a step further with that because I'm I'm a huge fan of Game Game of Thrones, the books and and the and the shows. I don't have HBO. I have no desire have to have HBO. I would buy this season on Amazon or on iTunes right now if they would mm-hmm. do what, what most broadcasters do, which is they release it the next day. Right. But they don't. They shift it an entire season. I can, I can go out and buy season two now all I want, but the, the reason that it broke records for, for piracy was the fact that there's no place to see this online legally for a whole year. Mm. Right. Well, and... and- Actually, the one article that I'm looking at right now from The Guardian, the UK newspaper, because Game of Thrones premiere was the most pirated show, Game of Thrones was the most pirated show of 2012 of all shows that were pirated, and then it, it broke a record for pirating with their season premiere. After the season premiere ran a week or so ago, HBO started making noise that, okay, maybe we're going to let HBO go, their streaming solution be available without a cable TV subscription. <gasps> You're kidding me. I'm looking at the article right now. Um, th- they're working on it. It isn't It isn't for real yet. It's still kind of talk at this point, but they're, they're starting to make noise that maybe this is not impossible, that maybe they'll make HBO Go bundled with internet service mm-hmm. the way HBO is currently bundled with cable. So if you get, a, if you get internet, you could also pay the extra couple of bucks for HBO Go. Um, it's still in talks, but... Totally do that. Some of them are starting to get it. I'm so, a, you know. I'm actually writing a blog piece right now. I've got a couple calls in and, and some talking with actually MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, because they're one group of people that get it, right? From my opinion. This is totally my opinion. This is not anything fact. But you can pay, I think it's like 120 or $130 a year to watch any game from any broadcaster so i'm in st louis so big cardinals fan if you're watching the cardinals and the cubs you can watch it from the uh, fox sports midwest side or you can watch it from the wgn side which is the 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 broadcasters for the cubs you can do it on your any any tablet you can do it on multiple um set top boxes whether that is the apple tv or there's a roku or there's an app on the xbox and there's an app i believe on playstation and they get it right. You can for a fee. Again, I have no problem paying the fee, but just let me do it and let me watch it when and where I want. Um, right. And I'm comparing that in the, in the piece I'm writing uh, against NFL, who could charge as much and probably more for people who are the, these these disparate uh, fans. Um, you know, again, I'm in St. Louis, but I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I have friends around here who are Denver Broncos fans. For crying out loud. Who would pay, and, and some of them do pay, $500 a year for, um, oh, what's the DirecTV um, NFL the ticket? NFL ticket, yeah. You, you give me that in an, in an internet form, right? You give me that in a streaming form and, and give me an app on my Roku or, or you know Apple TV or what have you. I think they would go gangbusters, but they've mm-hmm. got these, I don't know, I don't know if it's backward thinking or there may be contractual things that, that none of us know about that they just can't get there from here. I, I can tell you this much. They'd make bank just off of people like me that are in mixed marriages that, you know, even if you bought the NFL Sunday ticket, one spouse is watching their game on the mm-hmm. TV and we're over in the corner with a bad stream from an overseas pirate trying to watch our game, <laughs> you know, and it's all fuzzy and you have to watch commercials for something in Australia while you're trying to watch, you know, your blessed Steelers play in Ravens country. But not don, that I'm done. Done. <laughs> you you realize that you're going to have an entire season of of just heck because they they have a they have a trophy now so they have or another trophy two I shouldn't total. say now we I have six say, yes. just saying <laughs> there, there it is all right a couple real quick uh, and we'll end up here uh, George is all hot and bothered about 3D printing I am too but he's he's more so um, from Engadget it's a really cool it's a speaker that has been printed on a 3D printer. And they glow. Well, they, there's there's LEDs in there. Um, George, first of all, have you gotten a 3D printer yet? I have access to one of a friend of mine who I gave a little money to. Yes, well, but I, it's not my own yet. I think Dawn and, and it's still I, one of the layered ones. You know, substrate I, stuff. But I, I think Dawn and I should buy one for your birthday, which is Sunday. So happy birthday! 
Happy yes, birthday. it is. Thank you. He's 25. Continue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yes. It, it, all kidding aside, this is kind of cool, and this is just kind of a next generation and another, another development in this in this technology, right? Absolutely. I mean, what we're starting to see, and I think this goes uh, hand in hand with another article we were looking at called "Hacking Changes Products," in which we're reaching a critical mass now with three D printing, uh, which we cover a lot, by the way, on our DIY show, also on the AV Nation Network. Um, <laughs> that we can make nice. what we want and what we need. We're very near that time where we can make these products. Maybe in association with another manufacturer's products, but that we can modify these things to our needs or aesthetics even and make remarkable things. These are cute little speakers. Okay, they're not the nicest things in the world for a high-end home, but the potential there to make what you need days before the project goes in is just a remarkable concept for me. It's hacking the system. It's hacking products to make them better. We're not waiting for the next revision from the manufacturer. We're making it ourselves. It's no longer these extreme DIYers doing it. It's you and me modifying our stuff and saying, that's okay. I can modify it. It's okay to alter this thing. And I, I am so anticipated in the next five years that we might be able to do that or take an existing product, use a 3D printer, and make it absolutely perfect for the install we're doing. Well, And Don, this could also go ahead. I, I was just going to say go, what you were going to say, but um, th this also ties into that whole changing the way people operate. You know, we're watching mm. TV where we want to and when we want to. We're also become we've we've become very much, you know, if you look at Lifehacker, if you look at Instructables, eHow, yeah. the innovation level of people in America or in modern society even, not just in America now with the Internet and everything, it's it's amazing where we are compared to where we were just a few years ago. You know, when I was a kid, you wouldn't even dream of doing half the stuff that we just do as a regular, regular course of the day. You know, Life Hacker says, try this this weekend, and we, and we do, and it's like awesome. And, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, it would have been like one clever guy in the Midwest does something, and like nobody hears about it unless he writes a book or gets famous for building it. Yeah. So I, th I think it's remarkable and 3D printing. And, and, and I even found um, there was a, not a TED talk, but a, um, an Ignite talk by a, a nine-year-old autistic kid in Arizona who is a big 3D printing fan. And he actually, in his talk, says where to go to get a build-it-yourself 3D printer kit and you build your own 3D printer and then mm. you 3D print things. And this nine-year-old kid with autism is a, you know wearing glasses that he printed himself and he has a whistle that he printed himself. And he gives you instructions in the little five, 15-minute talk, whatever, where to find patterns for things and where to find, you know, drawings that you can use in your self-built 3D printer. I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, little kids can do this now. So why can't we? It's just a whole new world we're in. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Yes. All right. Last but not least, uh, from an old friend of mine, our, from, a, from an old friend of ours, Jennifer Willard wrote a piece that actually Don was was in the process of writing at the same time. Um, so I didn't. So you didn't. Um, it, it, backstory is this: is President Obama uh, referred to uh, another um, official as being by far the best looking. Quote, I'm sorry. Quote unquote. By far the best looking Attorney General. It's true. Come on. End quote. The attorney general in question uh, was a woman. <laughs> so the Jennifer Willard writes a piece. And, and here's what I'll start with you, Dawn, uh, because ladies first, you know, and <laughs> I'll just keep going with this. Um, Joanne uh, uh, Bamberger uh, wrote a, a piece and, and, and uh, Jennifer quoted her said, it's time to make a pact from now on if you are in a professional setting and you are thinking in your head, now that is one attractive man, woman, person, employee, colleague, business associate, dog, pig, whatever. This is what you must do from this day forward. Keep it to yourself. Dawn? <laughs> Let, let's ask Jennifer's, Jennifer's question first. Is being nice being sexist? Well, the, the initial question is being nice, being sexist comes about because the same day the story broke about President Obama referring to Kamala Harris as the best looking attorney general, an article came out from Scientific American that was proving that even commenting on someone's appearance or, or nice compliments towards women can impact the way they're treated in a professional environment. 
uh, i.e. even if they're, you know, doing great work or whatever, by commenting on their looks in some way or complimenting them in a, in, in a strictly gender-based way, you're influencing the way they are perceived by other coworkers and the way they are treated. So by making a, a point of their appearance or, you know, um, the, 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 the article mentioned um, a, a, an obituary that had been in, I believe, the New York Times of a woman. And it said about, you know, the, the obituary read about, you know, was a great mother and always had time to bake cookies and give a snuggle to her kid. And she was also active in the the aeronautics or, or mm-hmm. um, missile development in the in, and it was someone that was a heroine of world war ii and she was like big on some of the missile development that was used in in winning that war and they said could you imagine if albert einstein who was also on the missile project you know or or, or some of the other guys that were on the missile project if their obituary read you know he always took time to to bake and tuck him in and they wouldn't do that they talk about their achievements first you know and and, and say they were missed by their family but the, the the idea that the gender plays a role in how we're perceived, even if we're being nice, is where that article was coming from. And while I'm normally not a super PC gal, if you've listened to this, you know this. Um, <laughs> so I don't take offense. You know, if you say I look great, hey, thanks. You know, that's awesome. I'm a girl. Treat me that way. But it, it was interesting that there was actually research proving that that women are treated differently after even a polite comment. And so that was the, where the juxtaposition was. Um, I disagree with Joanne Bamberger saying that, you know, if you think someone is attractive or, or looks nice today or whatever, keep it to yourself. I think that there's politeness and I think that there's room in the world for compliments without getting overly PC. But I also think you need to be aware that sometimes your words have consequences you might be, not be aware of. You know what I mean? That makes sense. So I, I, I kind of had mixed feelings about the whole thing because it was, um, it, it was just interesting. It, it made me think a lot. Being not a super PC gal, you know, and I'm in a male-dominated industry, I'm one mm-hmm. of the guys half the time. But at the same time, it's, um, it, it's something you never really realized. And and this Scientific American study, they did the research and said, oh my gosh, wait, look at that. You know, you don't have to be a pig to inadvertently be sexist. And that that right there is, is the valid point is that you don't have to, and you you cannot even be um, you know you you may not eventually be the one who is the sexist in in, in that instance you could right. cause someone else to so George should you you and I even comment on this? Well, I mean yes, okay, absolutely. Um, here's my question: It really comes down to understanding where is the line between nice and ick. Okay, and it's it's a <laughs> right it's a tough line. But there is something to be said when someone comes in and you go, wow, you look great in that suit. Is it sexist? Is it sexual? Or is it just a nice comment like, that's your look. You look great like that. It all depends on the context and who's saying it and what they hope to achieve out of it, right? right? Unfortunately, I think there's too many people who are looking for the more salacious side and that's all their brain connects to on it. And sometimes that salacious side is perception more than intent. And there's got to be an equal balance. I mean... The, the article you say about the woman saying she was reminded that she always had time for baking, how, I don't know whether or not that's what she actually said. I'd like to be best remembered for what I did for family. You never know. That may be what her thing was. And then, yes, I did this cool thing. It probably wasn't, but you see where I'm getting at is that we have to understand that the, the, the hard red lines, they're not necessarily there. What the president said, I think, was just silly. I think he was trying to be something more and it just came out completely wrong. I'm giving him the benefit of doubt, mind you, but we have to be very careful. I mean, look, we still have booth babes at freaking shows. Let's, can we solve that first? <laughs> what's, you know, a, what's a booth babe? Yeah, exactly. I have never they, seen these somebody who gets in the way of the thing you're trying to actually go for. And, and see, that's an area where Jennifer and I and several of the other women in AV, we've had this debate the past couple of years that that's been an issue that, you know, personally... I don't have a problem with booth babes as long as they're clearly identified as such. Put mm. a showgirl in your booth. Put a girl in a bikini in your booth, whatever. But don't put a hot chick in your booth that you hired because she's a hot chick and put her in your company shirt and have her interfacing with the customers as though she worked for you. Because mm. to me, that's more offensive by them pretending that they know what they're talking about or looking like they could work there. And then when you talk to them, they're like dumb as a stump. 
And then that brings all the other women in the industry down. But if it's a showgirl, hey, you're in Vegas, whatever. It's a showgirl, right? That's my view. Some of the other women in AV, they don't see it that way. But it's a matter of perspective, you know. Don makes a good point. The last time that that Infocom was in Vegas was in Orlando. Uh, somebody, and I don't remember who at this point, so and I apologize. They had hired the Orlando Magic cheerleaders to do one of the games. You had to shoot a basket to get you know a prize at at their booth, but they were clearly the Orlando Magic cheerleaders, uh, right. and they weren't. It wasn't you know anything gaudy or anything, but they were in, in Orlando Magic t-shirts and and um, and basketball shorts, and, and that's what they did, right? That they were they were not quote unquote representatives of this company you would not expect to walk up to them and and say hey tell me about your product you would walk up to them and say hey can i win something so right mm. and and again for the past couple of years kudos to crestron i will come right out and name names kudos to crestron because when they have their crestron party for the crestron dealers you know traditionally when they throw these parties they always hire some sort of hoochie entertainment whatever um the past two or three years now when you go to leave the show floor at Infocom and go to the crush drum party. They've had hot chicks holding the signs and they've hired hot guys to hold signs as well to direct you. So all the women in AV and all the alternative men in AV, you know, right on there's hot, there's eye candy for you too. If you're going to be sexist, be equally sexist. I appreciate, I appreciate you noticing me, Don. <laughs> yeah, well, you know those booty shorts are hard to miss. Oh wow, that image will stick with you with all. That mental week. image in your brain now. Oh, oh god, I have to go now. <laughs> All right. Well, that is all the time we have. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, that woman right there is uh, is one of my favorite women. Her name is Dawn Mead, uh, AV Dawn. Uh, you can find her on uh, blogs. Well, you you tell people how they can find you, ma'am. If you're interested in my blog, which is desperately in need of an update, it's avdawn.com. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about my integration company, we're netav, net, N-E-T, hyphen, av.com on the internet. And if you are coming to Infocom in Orlando and want to learn about social media, take my class. I'm teaching a class there. So look up uh, social media for small businesses uh, in the Infocom University this year. Yay. I'm so happy for you. That is so cool. Um, and also with us is the birthday boy. His name is George Tucker. Tucker Twos. Tell folks how they can find you, sir. Uh, if you're on social media, it's Tucker Twos. You can find me there. Uh, Tucker Twos. Uh, Tucker Tuesday on TypePad. And uh, I have a couple of articles just published in Tech Decisions about AV and IT. Go read. Go comment. Get me some numbers. Go. Right on. All right. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to follow me, it is TD, Tim David Albright, uh, but more importantly for everybody here, uh, go by the website. Uh, they spent an awful lot of time for it. I say they because I didn't have a thing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> it's avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this podcast as well as our, our monthlies. George mentioned uh, the DIY, Live Life. Uh, we have an education-focused show, uh, a, a brand-new one about uh, control. It's called A State of Control with Steve Greenblatt. Our old buddy Rich Fergoza and a couple more. And uh, I will warn you folks, um, this month's uh, episode of that show is about who owns the code at the end of a job. <laughs> and I'm I'm putting on my big boy panties and, and, and my iron underwear because I have a feeling that I may stir some things up. So, <laughs> Ending with controversy like we started. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, go. Go, go by the website, avianation.tv. We've got Facebook and Twitter and and uh, and LinkedIn and all that. But but start there at the website, if you would, please. Uh, avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That is all the time we have for AV Week. 